All right, good to see everyone. Uh, hope you got a sheet. Uh, we're going to look at two main passages tonight. Uh, the the last the, one of the things that we read last week was from, as you see in the introduction on the sheet there, uh, John five and verse thirty-seven. <clears throat> I don't know why all of a sudden I don't have a voice, but <clears throat> anyway, John John five thirty-seven. Uh, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. So we talked a little bit about that, about uh, Jesus accusing them of studying the scriptures, but never really seeing, hearing God's voice or seeing his form. And, uh, and so tonight we're going to talk about, you read your Bible, but do you see God? and how to read your Bible to actually see God in the text. And there's a major difference uh, between the two. In fact, if you think about how the Pharisees read the Scriptures, that's exactly what Jesus was saying. They didn't really hear his voice or see his form. They, they weren't in that, uh, in that groove because they just looked at uh, this, this, the facts, uh, and that's something we've never done. Of course, we're so far above the Pharisees that uh, we, we've just never had that problem. Uh, we've yeah, not. We've never read the Old Testament just because, well, it's Old Testament history, so we need to read Old Testament history. And we never read the New Testament just to say, okay, well, what do we have to do to be saved? And what's the church supposed to be like? And what kind of worship are you supposed to have? We, we, we've never done any of those things except the entire uh, 20th century and, <laughs> and on. So it, it is a different, it's a, it's a different way to read the scriptures. When I've given lessons like this in some of the other churches that I've gone to, I've literally had just oodles of people who are the 65 and up category, and of course younger too, but who've actually come up to me and said, I've never read the Bible for any other reason than to find out what's the right and wrong answer on this, what's the rule on this, and what's this. I've got to start all over again. Yes, you do. You have to start all over again. Because it's, it's a whole different perspective. As we saw in John 5.39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are the what spoke of me, and you don't have the love of God in you, and you never hear his voice, and you don't. You know, he just goes down the list. So it is really important for us to learn how to do discover this. So we need to use two texts to do it. So first text is, is Judges chapter 10. So I, I didn't put the text on the sheet because these are a little bit lengthy. And I wanted you just to be able to take your Bible and see it. So Judges chapter 10, the whole text is verses 6 through 16. And we want to look at it in three paragraphs. So what I'd like you to do is, like on the first one here, read to yourself verses 6 through 10, and then come up with, a couple of things. What do you learn about God in the text? And then what do you learn about just human beings? Us. What do you learn about yourself? What do you learn? What do you know about just humans by what you read in the text? So, so take a couple of minutes and, uh, and look through and read through verse 6 through 10 and see if you can discover the answer then to that first question. All right, what's a couple of observations you have about that text? 
concerning either God or just the typical way humans are. How do you, how'd you come up with that conclusion just from this text? Because of so tell them that if that if he's literally in the past, Okay. But right. he wants us to serve him rather than fail because he was angry. Okay. Alright, good. Somebody else. You're looking at me like you know something. Uh, and you usually do. His anger is justified. <laughs> okay. He is angry, and it's not a justified reason for that anger. Uh, yeah, well, that's good. What, what's, what, what, why is God angry here? It's a little different kind of anger than what people would be. What's God, why is God angry here? Well, look, look at what he said he'd done for them, right? He says, look, I've, I, you know, I've done all these things for you, and, uh, and yet you turn around and you, and you, do, all these, you do all of this. So he's, his anger is kindled because they turn away from him who's taken care of them all these years and go off and serve something that's never done a thing for them. No. Hey, but, but, okay, yeah, go ahead. I'm not going to say anything yet. So somebody else, yeah. Them in a position to then see him again, right? So yeah. a lot of times when we get angry, our goal is to, to get back at him, right? And, and he's not doing that. He still does what's best for them. Good. He doesn't just... Uh, he's not going to let them enjoy their sin for very long. He's not going to, to, to let them think that life without him is going to be grand. He's just not going to do it. And uh, because he's jealous for them, he's, he, he wants the best for them. So he's not going to do that. I, I want you to consider another question. At the beginning of the book of Judges, what gods were they serving? Anybody remember? There's Baal and one other. Female gods. Asherah. Baal and Asherah. Now you notice the difference here in verse 6? No, it's not the same thing. No, there's a whole bunch of them. Now they're serving the gods of all the nations around them. What's that tell you about humans? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but there's, there's a whole lot more. What's that tell you, Chip? Like many humans do today, looking at this world, 
to be fulfilled with things that they could have or do in this world, they'll never satisfy them. God is trying to show them in an expedited way here by yes. turning the Philistines and Ammonites on them that, let me just show you, it's not going to come from them. Yeah, it's kind of weird because, okay, Baal and Asheroth, they tried that for a while, you know, just wasn't quite cutting it. Well, let's try another God. Well, let's just try another God. Well, let's try another God. Well, let's try another. Everybody but the true God, of course. We're going to try all these gods. And it reminds you, too, that's, that's sin is idolatry. Idolatry is sin. And, and, and when we sin, it is nothing more than thinking something else besides God. God's holding out in me something, something else besides God is going to do this. And that leads to, well, that didn't quite cut it. Let me try another sin. Well, that didn't quite cut it. Let me get a little deeper in sin. There's just, and Satan's always going, just a little bit more. Just one more idol and you'll, you'll have it. So the, the old saying is, if you stop worshiping God, it's not that you'll stop worshiping. You'll start, you'll start worshiping everything. Everything will become your God in order to try to seek it. So here's God instructing them. And you, so you're looking at, and the reason we're bringing this up is the typical thing would be as you read through Judges is to come to a section like this and go, oh, uh, just like last time. Just like last time, they, uh, they were serving these, they, serving these idols. They cried out to God, and God, you know, came and delivered them and set up a judge, and da-da-da-da-da. And so here we go again, and you read over it, and you're done. But no, slow down and think about what you were learning here about God. All right, so that you've seen some good things. Now go to the next section. Look at 11 through 14 there, and tell me something else that you see about God and even about humans. <clears throat> let, me, let me start with a question that you may not, that I didn't put on the sheet, <clears throat> just to aid this a little bit. What do you see here that is different about God in this text that was different than what you would see in all the previous incidents when the people came and confessed to God and said, please help us? Mara. <laughs> it's like you get into a mode through judges where they see their sin, that they're being oppressed, and they go to God, go, sorry, 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 please deliver us. And God goes, okay, and he delivers them. And it just keeps happening over and over. And this time he says, nope, done. Totally done with you. I will not save you. In fact, what does he tell them to do? Yeah, find salvation from those of the gods. That's a pretty good answer, isn't it? So you've been serving this sin or that sin or this thing or this idol or whatever. You've been doing all these things and now you're suffering the consequences of it and you want me to just go, voila, it's all done. And he, he just turns around and says, no, you go call on them and see how they answer you. Do you, do you think these people understood that okay? What did, what did they actually understand? Yeah. yeah, this is a wake-up, isn't it? What, what, is a, what is the problem with the people, right? What do you see the problem? That it isn't specifically stated, but what do the people not do? Let's put it that way. What don't they do when they turn around and confess what they've done to God? Yeah, never says anything about them changing. 
there. It says, just deliver us, you know, <laughs> deliver us. <laughs> yeah, that's so easy. Well, and they're so widespread with this, like, they're looking for something more, they're looking for something else. And it makes you wonder that I don't know that they're only coming back to God and begging for him to save them. Like, they might be also begging for these other gods to save them. <laughs> Two, you know? Could have easily, yeah. yeah. Because they're not being judicious. They're just like, hey, whatever works. Yeah, somebody say this. I'm looking for anything, for everything. That's right. As a matter of fact, nobody mentioned uh, how long have they been serving these other idols and dealing with this abuse? 18 years? These two kids aren't even 18 years old yet. <laughs> And they've been around forever. I mean, I can remember way back. So yeah, it, it's, it's all this time. And God just, you see what you learn about God? He just sits there and watches them. Just keep going. Let's see. I'm going to wait till you absolutely get murdered by these people. Until you can take it no more. And then we'll see what you do. Okay, good. Anything else you learn? Yeah, he lets them see the foolishness of, of what they've done and, uh, and just really figure out the, the it's what we've said all the time. You know, people don't usually change until they hit bottom. I mean, you've you got to really hit bottom. Chosen. You yeah. made the choice. You made this choice. You made the choice. That's right. I didn't force you into this. I told you what I did. You know, about your situation, I just find it curious. Nothing. Just be curious. Here's just a half of a generation. If you think about the the uh, wilderness wanderings. That generation died out after four years in the wilderness. And so you, you have to wonder is, is maybe they're a younger generation. <laughs> we grown up. Good. They find themselves in a situation that they didn't cause, yeah. and they're starting to look around and say, you know, to the older people, what have you done? Yeah. <laughs> and that happens, doesn't it? That happens. And if that younger generation comes up and goes, wait a minute, <laughs> why are you guys being so kooky, Cheryl? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they and, and it, it's 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 not really too bad of a of a statement. In some, they just basically say, hey, "Do whatever you want to." Is just relieve us. You know, they they've come to the conclusion anything God would do to them is not as bad as whatever whatever these nations are doing to them. Sin, the, the consequences of sin are just horrendous by this time. You know, it just keeps building and building, getting worse and worse. Yeah. But. But. <laughs> yeah. But deliver us. That's right. So you you see in this 
this whole thing of I will save you no more. He is really trying to get them to understand their condition and that he is the only one. Go ask all your other gods. They know full well those other gods don't exist and that they can't save them. You know, they know that. So he's just like, uh, you, you looking for me? I'm not saving you. And trying to get them to understand the seriousness. See, in all of this, God's constantly trying to, to show them what's life like without me. doing this to them. No, just no. He's just absent from them. That's right. He's just like, you figure out what it's like to live without me. You know what it was like to live with me. So I took care of you. I brought rain in the seasons. I did all of these things. You were in the land of milk and honey, and now it is a disaster area, and you need to see what it's like without me. It's exactly right. And, and that is over and over again, God's message. What's life going to be like without me? It's not going to be what you imagine it's going to be. Danny. Well, I think God just lays out the contrast. He gives an impressive resume. I've already defeated all these people once <laughs> <Yes>. before. <laughs> You've forgotten that. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. All right, quickly. Uh, we look at 15 and 16. Take one minute. 15 and 16. What do you learn? Give us some relief. Yeah, I mean, they said, well, please deliver us. We have sinned. They make a nice confession. True. Your question is what we learn about God in this paragraph. There's really only one thing that says about God. He became weary of Israel's misery. And to me, that translates to mercy. Yes. An amazing statement in which, for the first time in the whole book, God said, I'm not delivering you. I'm totally done. And they go, okay, okay. And, and you notice what they do. They, verse 16, they put away the foreign gods among them. They serve, they, they, and, they, uh, and serve the Lord. And, he be, but, and the Lord said, I don't care what you do. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saving you. I don't have to save you. I'm totally done with you. And then that last words there in verse 16. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. NIV translates, and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. What do you see about God? His compassion, his hurt for them and what they're going through. He can't stand it and he's going to deliver them. That says a lot about the God we serve. Uh, I'm not that nice. I would tend to go, nanny, nanny. That's <laughs> so sure. sin does. It just brought them to that misery. Uh, this reminds me so much of David later on when he takes the census and, yes. and he, he, it's almost like he's, he's seen what happened yeah. being one to misery because I know you're going to get tired of my misery. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I feel yeah. like Jacob from this how God really is. 
And, and again, so there's a lot of conclusions. Obviously, we could spend a long time talking about this. A lot of conclusions we should learn here about God, even when we are suffering as a result of our own sins. God hates it. He hates to see us in misery. And, and there is a great desire for, for us to come back to him. And he's always made that offer. That's the meaning of steadfast love of the Lord. Uh, so the desire for him to reunite with us and us to change. I th I'm impressed with the people at this point too. Because when God says, I'll save you no more, they turn around and, and just serve him anyway. Okay, well, whatever. We're not doing that anymore. You've said you won't save us. Well, that's fine, but we're not doing that anymore. And they turn and serve the Lord. And, and he says, I just, I just couldn't stand it anymore. And so he turns and saves them. So you, the main thing is learn to read a text that way. You learn to read a text where you're actually evaluating the character of God. And of course, it's a great time to evaluate yourself. What happens when, when we as humans go down a road like that? What is, what's the problem that's taking place? No longer serving two idols, that's not good enough. And that's just what happens. Sin, sin just opens the door for anything. Once you cross one line, your whole mind says, well, why not go ahead? And away we go. And now you're serving everything. And eventually, it's, it's just a disaster. You've just turned into a dumpster fire, if the old saying. <laughs> it, it is really bad. All right, we have, don't have a lot of time. We have almost uh, 16, 17 minutes. I want you to get over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. 1 through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. So let's read this, the first 11 verse. Let's read it together. And then I want you to be able to answer the questions that I have here on the sheet. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people uh, from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. All right, uh, the, the first question here, when you look at the other gospel accounts, what do you know about the relationship? We're just going to concentrate on Peter here. What do you know about the relationship from Peter and Jesus prior to this scene here in Luke 5? 
Anybody remember what you, what do we know about that? About Jesus and Peter prior to this situation. Yeah, remember when he started following Jesus was, uh, was way back when Peter and Andrew were with who? John the Baptist. So this goes quite a ways back. So this we, first thing we want to get out of our minds is that Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, sees, uh, sees a couple of fishermen, and just goes out and says, hey, excuse me, can I borrow your boat? And then tells them to cast some nets. No, they, they, Peter, Peter and Jesus, Peter, Andrew, James, and John have been hanging with Jesus for a number of months now. Uh, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. He's not like he hasn't even, he's, he's seen miracles before. So there, there, have been, there has been time that has gone by up to this point. Peter, Andrew, James, and John simply have not been called to be permanent disciples so far. They're doing their day job or night job or whatever, and then hanging with Jesus here and there. All right, so that's the first thing that kind of sets this up. All right, now, next, describe how Peter sees Jesus prior to the miracle. In other words, how would you evaluate Peter and how he is looking and relating to Jesus before the catch of fish. Jerry. I think he thought Jesus was just another one. So before the miracle, he's He's not necessarily treating Jesus like this is God in the flesh. What indicates that to you in the conversation? <laughs> Jim. In, in the business world, we, we talk about subject matter experts. <laughs> I think Peter did not see Jesus as a subject matter expert when it came to... That's right. <laughs> you don't know what you're... <laughs> yeah, you, you just love that. That's right. You just love that statement. You know, just, uh, I, 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 this is one of the... One of the number of passages in the Bible that I'm dying to see the video of. I just really want to see the look on Peter's face when Jesus says, you know, he's making, you, know you, you think about how much work it takes to clean the, these huge nets after you've used them all night long. I mean, it's got to take so much time to get everything out of it, get them cleaned up, get them folded right, all the stuff that has to go. And Peter's probably just about done doing that. And Jesus says, just throw your net out for a catch. And Peter's statement is, we have done that all night long. Imagine how tired he is at this point. Oh, I, you know, I fished all night long once. I said I'd never do that again. <laughs> it was, that's no fun. <laughs> and you, you just think, oh, we have done that all night. And I wonder if, he, if Jesus didn't just cock his head and look at him like, you going to do what I ask you to do or not? <laughs> at your word, sure, fine. You know, you imagine all the things going on in his head. <laughs> Throws it out. Okay, there you go. All right, sure. Well, now that's what we want to talk about the second part. So, so now you're, you're exactly right. You're, you're, you're jumping ahead, but that's okay. Right here, that's what we want to look at. How is Peter 
seeing Jesus after the miracle fish, and you're hitting on the, on the key point there, as the reaction he has. So how is he seeing Jesus now? Why, why do you think he's seeing him as the Messiah or even higher? Maybe God, you know, not necessarily thinking in their mind Messiah is God at this particular point. Why, what makes you think that Peter now sees him much differently? Yeah. I think he makes the connection here that he Yeah. And, you know, they missed that. When John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God Lamb takes away the sins of the world, he, they did not read so how come Peter can hang out with Jesus and Andrew and John and James the same way, hang out with Jesus for weeks on end by this point? And, you know, like, hey, yeah, Jesus comes by now and then and we go hanging here and there and teach some people and he zaps a miracle now and then and all this. And it takes this incident for him to say, uh, you know, you need to get away from me. I'm a terrible, terrible, sinful person. What takes that? What causes that? Clint? Well, what a humbling experience for Peter to fish all night and catch zero fish. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he had a lot of a professional fisherman. I don't think he had a lot of nights where he catches zero fish. And the biggest catch of his life comes. He's, in a way, kind of humiliated by this, this event that happens, and that's what brings him to a place of humility and says, you shouldn't be around me. I'm a sinful man. How is he seeing his sin before the catch of fish as opposed to after the catch? Well, that's true. That's true. He, 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 I mean, he, he had no idea. You're exactly right. But what is it about... Peter obviously, tell me if I'm wrong about this, he obviously sees his sin, sinfulness differently prior to the miracle than he does after the miracle. What changes him so that he sees his sin differently? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, suddenly the miracle has caused him to see Jesus differently. How does that translate into him seeing his sin? Because he sees Jesus as other. He can do something that he cannot even dream of doing. He sees the disparity between him and Jesus, and that helps him recognize his incapacity to do anything. To, to the point that was made earlier, this is something that he has a lot of pride in. It's his profession. He's just stated, like, Jesus, I'll do it for you because you're asking, but I know better about this. And he's confronted in this moment that he does not know better. God knows better. Jesus knows better, but he's wholly different. Yeah. Now he's understanding Jesus isn't just another man. In fact, check out the words that are used by Peter when Jesus when Peter addresses Jesus before the miracle what does he call him 
Master, by the way, in the Greek, that's just sir. It's just sir. How's he addressing afterwards? Lord. Lord. There's a major change. All right. Do you remember, and I have this on, the, on here, we save just a little bit of time, but do you remember in, um, well, we haven't got to, <clears throat> I'm, I'll go ahead and do question number five, and then we'll come back to four. Um, when you look at Isaiah's call, do you remember it? God calls Isaiah in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 6. He comes before the throne of God. The cherubim are there. They've got six wings. With two they fly. With two they cover their face. With two they cover their feet. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. Over and again. And here's, Jer here's Isaiah in the midst of this. And he looks at it. And what does Isaiah say? Woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Now remember, both Peter and Isaiah are very similar here. These are faithful Jewish people. Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah is, is, is going to be God's guy. These are faithful people to God. And he stands before and here is this picture. And his knees are knocking and he says, woe is me, I'm undone. That's very similar, isn't it? To Peter. Takes it a whole level. Makes it a whole other level. So here's what I'm going to suggest. Go ahead, Chip. Why don't you... Well, I was going to say, I was thinking along these same lines before you went down this path. Moses reacted when he was told that he would have been in the burning bush to take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Right. He knew he could not come in contact with that. That's right. Isaiah did it. Ezekiel did it. John did it. Everybody who comes into the presence of God, when they finally recognize who he is, they know they're not worthy. That's right. We are so vastly different. And, and so unworthy to be in the presence that it humbles us to our bones. Yeah. And these people faulted. Unless my sin's forgiven, you need to get away from it. Yes. <laughs> and see, there's the key. All of us here, I mean, we could, we, could, we could all sit around in a circle and go, here's my fault, here's my fault, here's where I miss it, here's where I should get better. I, you know, and, and frankly, we, we, you know, it might be a little uncomfortable, but we're comfortable enough to know, yeah, well, we're all sinners. And we can get a little bit too used to that. But you step before the presence of God. And what happens? How do you see yourself now? Whew. Now you are a totally aware of your sins. Yeah, I, I was thinking something along those lines. You know, both Peter... And Isaiah were not people that didn't know God. Exactly. They they knew God. They knew Jesus. I mean, Peter knew Jesus. But I think that when confronted face to face with how good, how powerful, and great God is, that they recognized how small their view of God. And that's 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 where the well I I am sinful because when I truly stand face to face with who God is, I am small and weak. This keys on why it is important to read your Bible and see God. 
drawing closer and closer to understanding Him as you stand in His presence because it causes you to react as Peter. I am so unworthy of being in His presence. I am so unworthy. Now, how does Jesus respond to that, that unworthiness that Peter is now seeing? How does, how does Jesus respond? How does God respond to Isaiah? Yeah. Number one, do not fear. Number one, do not fear. From now on, you will catch men. Why couldn't Jesus say that to Peter prior to the miracle? He wasn't ready. That's right. Let me tell you, um, this struck me many, many years ago, and I cannot read this text and the, and the, and the one in chapter 7 that, that's a companion to it with the sinful woman and, and the Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee. We are not worth a thing to God until we see the gravity of our own sin. And you cannot see the gravity of your sin until you get close enough to Him to really see Him as He is. You haven't seen my form. You haven't heard my, His voice. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. That's exactly why they're in the situation. Here's this faithful Simon the Pharisee in chapter 7. He does the synagogue. He does the temple. He's clean. He's all of this. And a sinful woman comes in, falls at his feet, sheds tears all over his feet, cleanses his feet. And he says, she is forgiven. She loved much because she was forgiven much. You love little. The only way you love God much is because you get close enough to see the greatness of your sin and thus the greatness of your forgiveness. And thus, Jesus saying, now I can use you. What kind of person am I going to be to go out in the world and talk to others about Christ if I think I'm better than they are? I'm worthless to him. It has to get to that point, Chip. I also just need to connect a couple with one dot, and that is, it's so fascinating to me that these two, these two passages you picked tonight, that when the people in the time of the judges realized that God said, I'm not going to rescue you, they gave up everything he had asked them to give up previously, but before he rewarded them with his mercy. In this passage of Scripture, what do you... Does Peter, John, and the rest of them do immediately? They give up careers and worldly possessions to follow Jesus. So it's funny to me, coincidentally, in one story you picked tonight, the things that were given up were given up before um, they received the mercy of God. In the second passage, they give everything up when they are asked to follow. And when they realize the mercy of God, I mean, that's it. Because Peter, before Jesus says, don't fear, follow me, Peter, Peter is saying, you know, you need to leave me alone. <laughs> you get close to me, I'm going to foul your life up. <laughs> but Jesus says, this is what, this is what is needed. Here's the, here's the big thing. You read your Bible. 
do you see God? Every day when you read your Bible, see God. And every day when you see God, it's going to humble you. It's going to cause you to realize the great mercy of God for you. And that's going to cause you to want to leave all in order to serve Him. If you don't do that in your Bible study, then you lose everything He's trying to get you to see. The very first words of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. That's what we want to be. Change your whole Bible study, the whole way you look at the text. Most important thing in this whole series that I've given you is what we see in this text tonight. Thank you for being good observers.